Greetings in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be with you again. It's good to see the house so well filled. Not because I'm here, but because God is here. This morning I wanted, for the message, I want to look at a word that we probably all use occasionally. And we probably don't think too much about it. And I hope this isn't just a word study. I hope you can take something with you that encourages you. It's the word impossible. Impossible. You know, somebody might say something and we say, well, that's impossible. Sometimes we use it as maybe an expression. Impossible. Well, is it impossible? We have the word impossible listed nine times in Scripture. Impossible. If you look at the way it's used, two times it's used as, in the Greek word, as we use the word unable. And we'll look at those. The rest of the times, the way it's used, and it's very similar, it's used as not possible. They're very similar, but yet there's a little bit of difference there, and we'll look at those. The first one I have is in Matthew 17. If you care to, turn to Matthew 17. The verses I have in focus here are verses 19 through 21, but I want to start at verse 14 to get the background here. This was when the disciples came to Jesus and they were trying to cast out the devils or the demons of this child. I want to start reading in verse 14. It says, And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. And sore vexed, for oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. And I brought him to the disciples, and they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could we not cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, If ye have faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove. And nothing shall be impossible unto you. 
Howbeit, this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. Jesus here used the word impossible. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Nothing shall be impossible to you. If you want to do whatever you want to do, it would be possible. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Notice the context here. Jesus talks about their unbelief. The disciples asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Then he starts talking about their faith. Well, does that mean as long as we have faith, things will happen? There was more to it than just simply believing. He said, this kind goeth not out, speaking here of casting out these demons, but by prayer and fasting. This wasn't a light thing. And so he uses the word impossible. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. Jesus had given the disciples power as they went out and if you kind of read between the lines maybe they weren't using all the power that was available. It's a little bit like driving a tractor without a turbo. If you have a turbocharger on a tractor or another piece of equipment, yeah it'll run but it won't do what it's supposed to do. And so he uses the word impossible. Turn now to Matthew 19. The second one I have here is In verses 23 through 26, Jesus had met here with a rich young ruler. And if you go back to verse 16, this young ruler came to Jesus and said, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? Why is it that You know, sometimes we get the idea that as long as we do something, it will benefit us. You know, we've probably all used the expression already, don't just stand there, do something. Well, this rich young ruler said, what shall I do, what can I do that I shall have eternal life? And Jesus had this conversation with him. If you get down to verse 22, 
It says, but when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he, was, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. A rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Apparently the Jews had the idea that if you were rich, you were godly. And notice here what Jesus was saying. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle How easy it is, is it for you to thread a needle without making the end of your thread wet? Okay. We do all we can to get that little thread through the eye of a needle. You know, as you twist it or you make it wet and you try to get it through there. Now I realize some commentaries believe that this is referring to the gate into Jerusalem where the camel had to kneel down. But as I studied this out, it keeps coming back to this impossible. It is impossible. With men, this is impossible. Yes, you can have riches and get to heaven. I'm not saying you can't. If you have God. It's not the riches, it's God. When his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? We need to have God. Yeah, sometimes our focus gets the wrong place. This was also used in Mark 10. The wording is just a little bit different there. I want to turn to that. Verses 23 through 27. Jesus looked round about and said unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered them again and said unto them, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus, looking upon them, said, With men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. 
And then if you want another reference, it's also in Luke 18. I'm not going to turn to that one. But we have these three Gospels mentioned about this. Another place the word impossible is used is in Luke 17, verse 1. Now the way it's used here, often we don't, well this is in the King James Version, so it's not modern English. Jesus was teaching here on forgiveness. It says, then said he to the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. In other words, it is impossible to live the Christian life without stumbling blocks being in our way. They will come. You know, sometimes we get put off or frustrated. Whether it's people or situations that come our way. But he said they will come. And we need to deal with it. And he he goes on talking here about those who Trespass, those who are a stumbling block, those who offend, and he has some pretty strong words about that. But we need to realize that stumbling blocks will come. And if God says something is not possible, it's not possible. Now I want to go to Luke chapter 1. This is a very familiar account. Luke chapter 1. I was impressed here, and I'm not going to take the time to read it, but I was impressed here ahead of this these verses that I'm going to read. This was the announcement of Mary that she was going to have a child. And if you look at these previous verses, all that, she, all that the angel said that her child would be and would do. Then we come to verses 36 through 38. 
It says, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren, for with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. You know, Elizabeth was, or Mary was probably thinking, impossible. This is impossible. The angel had already told her what Jesus was going to be and was going to do. He even had a name for the child. And we say, this is impossible. And this, this was, if you look at the Greek word here in this verse, it's the word unable. She thought she was unable to bear a child. And the reason she thought she was unable was back to verse 34. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? With God, this was possible. The next one I want to look at is in Hebrews 11. Verses 5 and 6. It's a faith chapter. It's talking about Enoch. It says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I thought it was interesting how he worded that there. Without faith is it impossible to please God. And then he goes on and he gives the accounts of all these people that please God. Now to illustrate this, I'd like for somebody to come up here. Any volunteers? Children? Maybe I'll start calling on names. Well, maybe I have to bait you a little bit. And you children have small enough a hand to reach into there and get that candy out of there. You can have it. But you can't tip the jar over. Anybody want to try? You want to try? 
You want to try? I think we, you boys here look like you want to try. Come up here and see if you can get your, get your hand in there and pull one of them out of there. Quinn? I can get my finger in there, that's about it. All right. Hey, can you reach in there and pull one of them out of there? No, you can't tip it over. Still keep your fingers up. You can't get it? It's impossible, right? Okay, it's impossible. Anybody else want to try? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We add faith to it. that we try to do things our way. And God said it can't be done. We do things God's way, it's possible. Go to Hebrews 6. I love the book of Hebrews. And recently I preached on the better things of Hebrews. Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, leaving the principles of doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this will we do, if God permit, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. Now, if you look at chapter 5, notice the end of chapter 5. It's talking about Christ being our high priest. And, of course, Hebrews is the book of better things, and so we have, he explains here why Christ was a better high priest. And then he says, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. You know, I always thought it'd be nice if somebody would preach on these verses. Because I had some questions. Notice what he says here. It says, It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift, that is salvation, tasted of the heavenly gift, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. In other words, we receive the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again to repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now if you notice there, verses 4 through 6 is all one sentence. This is the result of rejecting the better sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ. Rejecting Jesus. <coughs> Go over to Hebrews 10. Verse 26 through 29. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now notice here, he's speaking of that better sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries he that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite to the spirit of grace. He has some pretty strong words here for those who reject Jesus. That perfect sacrifice. That's interesting in this account and back in, I think it's in chapter 6. We have a little word, if. If we sin willfully, and if they shall fall away. If we expect any other sacrifice other than Jesus Christ, we have no hope. We have another one here in Hebrews 6. The verse in focus is verse 18. 
You know, sometimes we sing that little children's song, God can do anything but fail. And we have one of those things here. That by two immutable things it was impossible for God to lie. That we may have a strong consolation to have fled for refuge to lay upon hope upon the hope to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So we have here it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. He is truth. You know, sometimes we use that little phrase, well, to tell you the truth. Well, I don't like that phrase. Or sometimes we use that little phrase, to, to be honest with you. Well, aren't you honest all the time? I think I heard that from Josh in Sunday school. I know. I don't mean to pick you out, Josh. I'm just making a point. But it's impossible for God to lie. I want to read here verses 13 through 20 of chapter 6. And it's speaking here of the context of, of being impossible for God to lie is that of his promise to Abraham. And if you study that out, it's wonderful. It says, for when God made promises to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily swear by the greater in an oath of confirmation, who is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay, hope, to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and, that, and which entereth into that within the veil. And so we have here this oath, it's in the context of the oath that God made to Abraham, or the promise God made to Abraham. We could look also at Genesis 22, that's where God made that promise, verses 16 through 18. Turn to Romans 4. This is still in the context of that promise made to Abraham. Romans 4, verse 3, For what, the script, what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now skip down to verse 18. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to all which he had spoken, so shall I seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered, his, he considered not his own body now dead, but when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. That's a whole message in itself right there. What he had promised, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, are we fully persuaded? You know, sometimes we think we are and we say we are, but are we? Do we believe the promises of God? Go back to Hebrews 11. I must hurry on here. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So again, the faith of Abraham. Abraham pleased God because of his faith. And because of this, God made that promise to him. Back in Galatians 3, I want to read verses 6 through 8. This is Paul's letter to the Galatians. Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. You know, the Jews, many times in their conversation with Jesus, they said, we be of Abraham. Abraham is our father. They held a lot of stock in that. And that was true. But he says, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. Abraham believed God. We have a hope. Go to Hebrews 6. I want to read verses 10 through 12. You know, after he wrote here about it being impossible for those who were once enlightened and so on to come back to God, he says in verse 9, But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous. Now I want you to get this. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed toward his name in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Period. That's the end of that, that's the end of that sentence. 
It says, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. This is that better hope that we have in Christ. If we believe in him. So may we be faithful as we live our lives. You know, I was impressed in that one song that was sung this morning. The wording. 464. Fourth verse, for nothing falls unknown to him, or care, or joy, or sorrow. And he whose mercy ruled the past will be our stay tomorrow. That's hope. That's the hope we can have in Christ. Because God cannot lie. Shall we have a song?